Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome everybody to the Psychic Inside Show. My name is Joelle and I am the Vibrarian and I am here to elevate, enlighten, and empower you with information that I hope you find positive and uplifting. I'm here every week on the Vibrary Radio Network, and on Tuesday nights is the Psychic Inside Show. I believe that everybody is psychic, but you just may not recognize it. So each week I bring on guests who are willing to share their story about how they came into understanding their own way of having the psychic gifts and abilities. And my goal is that somewhere in their stories you will hear something that might make you say, oh, my gosh, that's been happening to me. I never knew that that's what it was. So I'm so glad that you've joined me for the show this evening. I would like you to connect with me on Facebook. I have a community that I'm growing called the Good Vibe Tribe, and I post articles and information that I find that I think is helpful and enlightening. We post the shows and the guest schedule for who's appearing on the Vibrary Radio Network, sharing memes and um, just passing around good energy and supporting each other on the journey. You can join the Good Vibe Tribe by searching on Facebook for The Vibrarian, and that's V as in vibes, I-B-E as in energy, R-A-R-I-A-N. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram, of course, having social conversations. So if you're out there and you see a picture that you think is uplifting for everybody, just tag me in it and make sure that it's uh, sent to me so that I can share it and amplify that positivity amongst the people that I'm connected to. So I'm also here every Thursday night for the Vibrarian Show, which is a knowledge quest. I'm exploring the mysteries of this world around us. It's kind of like a cross between Indiana Jones and X-Files, so uh, there's no stone left unturned, and I hope that you'll join me. We've talked about Twin Flames, Akashic Records, Dream Symbols, Astral Projection. I think we've got extraterrestrials coming up in a few days and some other exciting topics ahead, so that's Thursday night on the same channel. Our phone number is 646-668-8988. You can give us a call during the show if you have any questions for our guests during the first part of the show about the story that they're telling and their life experiences. Just press 1 and let me know you want to come on the air. And from time to time, we do have guests who are providing free readings during the show. That does not happen until the last segment. So uh, if you have a psychic reading type question, please hold on to that until we get a little further down our time that we have together. So I think that's all of our housekeeping. I would like to say that this month the Vibrary Radio Network has been generously sponsored by Speak Natural Hair Design, located in East Point, Georgia, and the Fillmore Center for Wellness and Rehabilitation, located in College Park, Georgia. I'm so grateful for these businesses who are, who are putting their sponsorships out there to be able to support this radio channel and its informational activities. So thank guys. Appreciate you. Now, tonight on the show, I am welcoming a woman who I have not met in person. I've only met her in virtual space. And I'll tell you, I was very intrigued when I first learned a little bit about her because she said two words that I just am intrigued by, and that is 
ghost hunter, ghost tour. Now, she's not a ghost hunter herself, but she has some interesting stories to tell this evening, and so I'm very excited to welcome Karen to the show. Karen, how are you? I'm doing fine. How are you tonight, Joelle? I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. Welcome to the Psychic Inside Show. I'm really glad that you are here to share your story now. I know from looking at your Facebook page and our preliminary conversations that you are a psychic medium. So in your own words, how is it that you describe your gift and ability? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, The, oh boy. I would describe myself as a, a psychic medium that really enjoys the mediumship part of the abilities most. I, um, I I don't read like most mediums where I just deliver messages. Instead, I blend with the soul that is coming through for the sitter. So I tend to take on the characteristics of that person, whether it be in the way that they speak or laugh or the words that they choose. Um, it's kind of like having two souls in one body. Does that make sense? Now that has, yeah, that has to be interesting. So a lot of people, you know, we try to demystify different terms on this show, and I found that the word psychic and medium are somewhat personal terms because some people will say, well, I don't call myself a psychic or I don't call myself a channel, you know, and so that's why I like Mm -hmm. to have an opportunity for you to kind of describe yourself in your own definition. So when you are speaking about mediumship, you are definitely talking about uh, people or energies of spirit that have been human who have now departed, like your typical, uh, I guess, ghost is kind of a vague word used, used probably wrongly in some aspects. Do you consider yourself a person who speaks to ghosts <laughs> when you think about what you do? <laughs> um, you know, I, some people think of a ghost as, as, you know, somebody who has been human, who has died, and for some odd reason can't cross over, pass through the veil. Um, I I don't see them that way. To me, because we're all energy, all energies are um, not equal, but for me, a ghost is a spirit, an energy of someone who lingers for whatever reason. It doesn't always have to be because they're attached to something or someone um, or that they don't want to move on. They might have just really enjoyed their time here and want to hang out here. It, it does, there's no differentiation for me between spirit and between ghosts. They're just mm-hmm. uh, energies that I can communicate with. And Does that make sense? So you speak? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And you speak of when you're communicating with them, it's not um, like what you would say is your typical clairaudient experience or clairvoyant mm-hmm. it's a mm-hmm. is it a blend because you are kind of uh, seeing but then the energy of that person's personality as you said it blends then as you are delivering the messages so that you might have mannerisms 
and, and I have not heard a clear term that would cover that. You know, we kind of hear about clairaudience, <laughs> clairvoyance, clair, claircognizance, clairsentience. So this is kind of outside of those five labels that have been developed. Is that why you say that you're kind of different from other psychic mediums? Well, I could be I could be labeled as a claircognizant medium because I don't I know, but I don't know how I know. In other words, for me, I think a really easy way to explain is, is um, for me, our brain serves as an um, energy center and a filing cabinet. That's how I see it, and your soul. And when I do a reading, it's kind of like I take my filing cabinet of all the stuff that I know and I step aside and the soul that is coming through or the spiritual energy that is coming through to me kind of brings their filing cabinet along and puts it in place in me so that there's two filing cabinets in the same body or two souls in the same body. So because I've moved my filing cabinet and I'm not dipping into theirs, I don't know what's in their filing cabinet. Mm. So when they when I when I do a reading then, it's their information. So I'm not going to be really good at names and things like that because they already know who they are. They're not going to come mm-hmm. in and announce themselves and go, hey, I'm Bob Jones, you know. I wanted to talk to you. Oh. You know? oh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little different. Usually when I do a reading and the spirit or the soul comes through, they will literally – tap me on the shoulder to announce that they are present. And then I wow. either let them in or tell them, not now, this isn't a good time. But sometimes it spontaneously happens. Now, has this always been the way that you started receiving your gift um, with that kind of uh, co-presence experience? Or is this been a way that you have kind of developed as you grew into understanding Oh, no, it's been this way from the very first experience that I had. Um, I've gained a lot of understanding and control over the energies and, you know, been able to set boundaries and, you know, set up um, protection for myself and and stuff like that. But, no, the very first time I was um, probably about 2008, something like that, I was on a, a ghost walk with my husband and his paranormal group. And very skeptical person, didn't believe in any of that paranormal stuff. And so um, we went on a ghost walk in historic Buford, Georgia. And um, at the end of it, having not seen anything um, to convince me that spirits existed, we were leaving. And as we went past the the historic jail, the old jail, someone noticed Mm -hmm. that the jail door was open. And so a couple of people went inside, including my husband. But when I went to go inside, there was a pressure against me, like saying, nope, you're not going in there. But I could see Mm. into it. And then it seemed like, um, for lack of any other way to describe it, it was like something came out of that gel, like a wind, like a breeze, and it came to me and it kind of like went in my belly button or what would be probably the sacral chakra. And um, I remember tearing up 
and looking around and not knowing where I was or what was happening or stuff like that. And the medium who was uh, conducting the ghost tour came out, and he was like, oh, my gosh, you have to stop this. You have to stop this right now. And I had no idea what he was talking about. So he um, said a prayer, and he sprayed me with some holy water, and um, whatever joined me left. So that was the very first time. Yeah, yeah, that was the very first time. And it's been like that ever since. So when you felt that pressure, did you see or hear anything other than that windy feeling? No, it just wasn't. I mean, there wasn't even a windy feeling or anything else like that. I just can't think of any other way to describe it. But I guess now in retrospect, I would say that an energy came Mm -hmm. from jail and made a beeline for me. Wow. And so the medium that was there was able to discern what was happening that is, and they weren't even right in the room with you, I guess. And had you made a cry out or anything, or were you just frozen? Or uh, I just remember, I do remember that I my ear, my eyes were tearing up a little bit, um, and that had happened once before um, when my mother passed. And um, so I really didn't know what was happening. But as soon as that medium came out the door. He was like, oh, my God, you have to stop, stop, stop. And he knew exactly what was going on. Um, thank wow. God. And, um, yeah, and, uh, you know, took care, of it for, <laughs> took care of it for me. But then we went wow. to the cemetery. They made me go to the old historic cemetery, and they made me go there. So uh, it was quite a night. So how did the rest of the group react to this? I'm sure they're like, this was the best ghost tour ever. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, well, like <laughs> they were they were experienced paranormal investigators, so you know okay. they I don't I don't think it bothered them too much. They were just kind of like, oh, what happened? Um, but uh, shortly after that, I went on my first investigation with my husband and his group, and as we were doing the inve- doing the investigation, all of the men left and the girls were left in one room. And um, the meters started going off and stuff like that. And I went over to join the other girls to look at the meters. And uh, every time it would go off, the hairs on the back of my neck would rise. And Mm. um, it happened twice. And then the third time, I think it was, it happened, it was like, because it was behind me. I could feel like Mm -hmm. an energy behind me. You know, like some people, you know, the hairs on their arms rise and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was behind me and then came around in front and all the hairs on my cheeks rose. And same thing, when she went in through the sacral chakra and right up to my throat and she tried to talk, but she oh. couldn't figure out how to do it. So, <laughs> And they have it on videotape, which is really cool. It's not very flattering to me, um, but... Uh, at the end of it, which is very interesting, especially to investigators, is that in the frame of the uh, video, you can see my friend Medine. She's holding my arm, and you can see that she's like she's touching all up and down my arm, and I have no recollection of it. But um, with a, at one moment um, when the spirit left, um, my shoulders dropped. And then when they went back and looked at the videotape, they could see 
an energy orb coming out of my arm at that exact moment. Wow. Had any of the investigators that had been uh, doing these or your husband, had they experienced this kind of thing with other people who were mediums then on previous um, excursions? Um, Well, I can't speak to that very much because I wasn't there, of course, but Mm -hmm. um, I, I do remember that they were looking at me like deer in the headlights, you know, it was right. It happened very quickly, you know, and there's that, you know, something, a little, little something, something happened. And we kind of like felt like there was something bigger going to happen. And it did. And uh, it was just, it just took us all by surprise um, that night for sure. That, that had to be a very disconcerting feeling or, you know, to have uh the physical sensation of something merging with your energy or, you know, to see yourself play back on video of, of uh, you know, trying to vocalize and being unable to. <laughs> I mean, what does one do when you go home that night after the experience? How do you go to sleep? I think I would have been scared. <laughs> I would have been scared. Like, I'm not going to my eyes. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I don't know. I was not scared. That's the mm. crazy thing about it. I wasn't afraid. I, The first time that the meters went off, I remember I was, like, standing, like, a foot away from it. And it was kind of like I was like everybody else waiting for something to happen. And and usually when you have a tri-field meter like that, you'll just get a tiny little bump on it. But this mm. tri-field meter was going all the way up to the top. It went all the way up to the top, and it stayed there. So everybody that was a, an investigator, they knew more than I did. Let me tell you, they knew a lot more than I did that was going on. But for some odd reason, I just was not afraid, and I just kind of stood there and let it all happen. I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know how to stop it. I didn't know what was going to happen. So what else could I do? I just stood right. There. Did yeah. the medium in the first encounter, when when they said this has to stop, were they alarmist or were they kind of calm, like, no, let's manage this right now, or were they like, oh, my God, stop? <laughs> I mean, like, what kind of energy? <laughs> um, the, the, the first one at, in um, Buford, I remember going back to my car thinking, okay, I can't, I can't wait to get home. And they're like, well, we're not going. We're going over to the cemetery. I'm like, what? I'm not going to the cemetery. I want to get out of here. And they're like, well, you can either sit here by yourself in your car or you can come over to the cemetery. <laughs> uh-huh. so, so they're they, like, I'm going to stay by myself. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was, And I'm afraid of the dark. A cemetery was the last place I wanted to be after that happened. So... Uh, I, I had no choice. I had to go, so I I, uh, I um, clung to the medium for dear life, and and um, we nothing happened in the old one, but in the new one, um, I saw a shadow person and um, stuff like that. I did see a couple of things over there. So he was like, "Oh, okay, you're a, you're a physical medium," and I, of mm. course that meant nothing to me. Um, mm-hmm. And at the second one, it was a bunch of the same people, 
So um, I think they were startled and intrigued. And, mm-hmm. um, and as far as going home, the whole experience left me exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I slept. I didn't have a problem sleeping, I don't, I don't think. So what does one do after one discovers that uh, ghosts can <laughs> make themselves <laughs> apparent to you? Like, how do you – I'm sure your husband, first of all, was like, oh, I have the best wife, wife ever because he's already a paranormal investigator, and now you're like a medium, and it's like the perfect blend of, of teamwork. I, I felt like a lot of winners. <laughs> Because now he had his, his own personal uh, partner in crime, so to speak, to go on these adventures with. That's kind of funny that he was already involved in that realm. Yeah. <laughs> he was, he's he's that uh, fascinated with EVP. Yeah, yeah. He was, he's really, really good at discerning um, EVPs and, uh, you know, um, Okay, tell me what that, that was. That was his um, his forte, his uh, his area of expertise. You know, for me, I couldn't understand how it uh, you could capture a voice on a digital recorder um, and not hear it. And how come? You know, I, I don't understand how it works, but I've seen it work, so um, you can't dispute it. And, you know, I, I, I'm a thinker. I get all up in my head. So after all this stuff started happening, my wheels were turning. I had to do research, and that's what I spent probably the next eight years doing, trying to figure it all okay, out. So wait, what is an EVP? An EVP, he's going to kill me now because I'm going blank. It's extra, it's uh, electromagnet. Oh, no, no, that's not it either. I'm sure everybody in the chat is laughing at me. Um, it's voice phenomenon. I can't remember what the E stands for, but Let voice phenomenon. Okay. So basically what looking. it is, is is you can oh, electronic voice phenomenon. Electronic voice phenomenon. Electronic okay, voice okay. phenomenon. Right. right. Okay. So it's. It's 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 a voice that's captured on a recorder, but not necessarily heard by the human ear. Okay. So I've asked- when you do an EVP session, everybody is very very quiet, and we sit and ask questions, and then pause and hope for a response. Um, and then you would review your tapes at the end of the night, and you would be able to discern. My husband, Jim, was really good at it. Discern whether it was somebody in the group making a noise or something outside or if it was actually a response to a question. So it's fascinating stuff. Yeah, I have seen some people on YouTube who were talking about this ghost box um, um, apparatus. I don't know if they were talking about the app on the phone or an actual device, but they were having sessions that they then shared. And I think there's quite more than one person. Of course, YouTube has some of everybody. But that, and you see them on, yeah, on TV all the time, uh, you know, yeah, on the Ghost the Hunters shows or something stuff like, like that. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's different so, kinds. There's the, uh, the um the one they, um that uh, goes through the frequent the radio frequencies like a white noise to discern um mm-hmm. um talk there's um the other one the uh, ghost box that i believe chris chris moon 
is uh, the mm-hmm. best operator there. There is. I think he just came out with a book. Thank you. You're welcome, Chris. And um, we've I've had experience with that one as well. You know, and uh, it's fascinating. He connected to a girl who uh, I used to work with at a retail store, and um, I asked. I got one question to ask. I'll never forget it. I said, "Where is Hannah?" And the response came back in the light, and it was her voice. Mm-hmm. So wow! Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if you hear clear audiently what sometimes what the EVPs. Not with an EVP, but I've heard my name called um, on several occasions in different venues um, before. But usually, not usually clear audience. Mm-mm. Okay. I'm afraid of the dark. I don't. I, I don't really like doing investigations. I'm afraid of the dark. <laughs> so when you when you left the uh, the reading, you said it started like an eight year then journey for yourself and understanding. Did you go to my favorite place, the library, and check out a book that started talking about ghosts, or or did you sit down with the medium who you or someone else in it or? You know, how did you start to approach then understanding this? Well, I didn't really understand what happened, so I needed to learn about that first. And there was, um, I went on the Internet and did research, and um, there was a woman who had a show, her name, oh, gosh, you know, I'm going to sit there and forget her name now, Joyce, Joyce Keller, had a show, and I remember uh, listening to her show a few times and called in, and someone read for me, and I was pretty accurate. And she said, well, you're a medium. And, I'm, you know, she was the first one that, that mentioned it, you know. And so I poo-pooed that, of course, because I didn't know anything about mediums. So, and then I was raised in the Catholic uh, Church, so there is no reincarnation, so... Um, I th- this was a, a totally new landscape all the way around. So I had to start at the beginning mm-hmm. and figure out if I believed in reincarnation or not. So I had mm-hmm. to do research about that. And, and my husband gave me a book on um, Casey, Edward Casey. And I remember thinking mm-hmm. about that. I picked up the book and I opened it. And there on that page he was talking about reincarnation. Mm-hmm. Wow, okay. You know, I always, I, you know, my my father is a preacher, pastor in a large denominational organization, mainstream kind of, uh, not too fiery and brimstone, not too, you know, just kind of middle of the road, you know, the United Methodists. So they're pretty middle of the road, uh, Protestant denomination, mainstream. So it was mm-hmm. never like any extreme teachings but certainly not reincarnation, like you said. The the predominantly was that the dead are asleep or living in Christ, and there's no not really such thing as the afterlife. But I remember a book that my father had on his bookshelf that I read. I was always free to read whatever I wanted. Um, it, I think it was a book like The Assassination of Peter Proud, and it was a story where this person was killed but reincarnated and solved his murder. And, you know, it was some kind, it was very short. I was probably, you know, maybe sixth grade, seventh grade, but I never forgot it. And it wasn't until like maybe the last two years 
you know, I had my own medium ex- experience with someone who uh, has been on this show before, and a dear friend of mine came through, and it was like, I knew it. I knew. I finally had my I knew it experience, you know. <laughs> and then I read mm-hmm. Many Lives, Many Masters, which I'm always oh, talking about and referring to people, you know, because mm-hmm. it really does come from a practicing mainstream psychiatrist's point of view into his awareness of the continuity of the soul. So did you have a crisis of faith behind your research, or was it something you just kind of adjusted your framework and kept it moving? Well, oh, boy. Um, Well, actually, it all actually started um, because my mother got ill. And I live in Atlanta, but I'm from Ohio. Mm-hmm. And she had had a surgery, and I went out for the surgery, and she survived the surgery very well. But the night before her surgery, uh, my sister said that she had been calling for Eleanor, which was her favorite cousin when she was growing up. Um, she uh, made it out of ICU fine, and, but um, a day or two later, she um, had to be put on a respirator, and my father said, you know, we'll do a week and see how she does. And a week went by and she didn't do too well, so they decided to take her off the respirator and they called me to come up to Ohio. So I got the last flight out of Atlanta and um, it was late at night and I was on the plane. I couldn't read and there was nothing to look out at the window. Um, and I started to weep, which was totally out of character for me. Um, a stiff upper lipper kind of gal, you know, I'd altered everything. But I started to weep, and I remember looking at my watch, and I think it was like 10 until 11 o'clock at night. And in my mind's eye, I saw my mom in her favorite blue flannel gown. And the words, now I can rest, popped into my head. And I felt what I found out later was a kiss on my forehead. And this incredible sense of peace washed over me. And um, as suddenly as I had started weeping, I stopped, dried my eyes, and looked at my watch and was surprised to discover that 20 minutes had passed. Mm. And I'll tell you, the experience was like the blink of an eye. And it was 20 Mm -hmm. minutes, which was startling. I got to the mm-hmm. hospital, my sister let me in, and um, as we were going up the elevator, she stopped, and um, she said, before we go up the elevator, I need to tell you something. And I said, I know what you're going to say. And she said, what? And I said, I was on the plane, and I told her what happened. And as I got to the end, I could just see the blood draining out of her face because at that time, she told me, they were all sitting around mom's bed and they were telling her to go to me Mm. and to go to my sister Kathy who lived in Houston and who had literally just been diagnosed with uh, leukemia so she could not come to Ohio. Mm -hmm. And um, I I said, was it at 10 to 11? She said, no. I said, oh, 10 after 11. She said, oh, my God, Karen. I remember looking at Dad's watch when she took her last breath, and it was 11.08. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, she was with me two minutes later. 
Wow. So, yeah, <laughs> it's a beautiful story, and and it yes. gives me great comfort. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess I guess I just keep going back to my mom wouldn't lie to me. My mom right. woke me up. She and it's very often the case. People will discover that they have abilities um, in a tragedy or when something unexpected, because there's an unexpected death, like my mom. Um, we'll mm-hmm. bring that about, you know. So, and people don't generally, I don't think, think about these things unless they have some skills in their youth, or they have lost someone close to them, dear to them, for the first time, and then the wheels right. start thinking, what's next? What's next? Right. Yeah. You know, and I think sometimes, unfortunately, people say that then that's a one-off because they're like, well, it was just because it was my parents. Um, And oftentimes people will talk about those um, pre-death moments when their loved one is looking and seeing uh, loved ones waiting for them. And everyone Mm -hmm. seems to then in that grief moment have an understanding that there, there is a veil kind of shifting, but then it's like, it drops back down post-event to where, like, say, if you then heard your mother talking to you or sharing things with you later, most people will say, well, it's not really my mother. It's just I know what my mother sounds like. So I am inventing this conversation based on my knowledge of her rather than having an ongoing then connection to say, you know what, uh, even though her flesh is gone, the possibility of that continued relationship exists. That that seems to be the common thing that I I hear. It's open for a minute and then it closes back down. <laughs> the everyday well, life kind of comes open, again. you know. I, I, I think, it, you know, for a lot of people it stays open and they want to believe that they can still have that relationship um, with anybody else that who has walked on um, in their lives. You know, they've walked on to the next world. And um, I think certainly that the experiences that I had um, in the early days of my paranormal investigations served to um, help me understand how, Um, spirit can use our filing cabinet, if you will, um, Mm -hmm. to communicate and to open up those lines of communications. Um, Often people who have lost somebody, you know, they'll smell uh, cigarette smoke or their perfume or they'll uh, hear a song that was very special between the two of them over and over again, and it makes them start to think. And certainly it Mm -hmm. did for me because those things happened for me as well. But I had to figure out how that occurred. So that probably took about a year. <laughs> um, so are, when, during your studies, were you then like um, then learning things and sitting down and practicing and saying, okay, who's here now? Or like what did it look like for you as you started to develop your your opening or your channel, I guess, if you will? Oh, I after the after the first two experiences that I had, it kind of shut down. I found myself in a in a home that had a portal, and it was um, a little overwhelming uh, for me because I channeled probably about four different souls, um, and then it never happened again. It was kind of like 
different things began to happen. Somebody at work would um, mention an ailment or an ache or something was wrong. Uh, or one woman, Kate, um, that I'd known for many years, told me that uh, her daughter, who was pregnant, um, the ultrasound came back with a mass in the baby's lung. And instantly I was like, don't worry about it. It'll be gone before the baby's born, I'm sure. And in my head, I was seeing my niece or my nephew, I can't remember which one who had it, but they had a strawberry mark on their forehead. And my sister, who is a nurse, said, it's just kind of like a collection of, you know, blood vessels and stuff, and it'll eventually be reabsorbed. And mm-hmm. that memory kind of like, I don't know how to say, because that memory came up, I said what I said. So the intuition mm-hmm. was, what happened with my niece is what's going to happen with the baby, and the baby will be fine. And mm-hmm. that's how it turned out. So I had I started mm-hmm. to have different kinds of experiences. I I discovered that I was um, I think what they call a medical intuitive. Um, okay. I I people came into my life into my husband's life, you know, through his his group and stuff like that, where we just met people that. I went to a table tipping um, what, at some lady's house one time, and it was fascinating. I don't know if you've ever heard about table tipping. No, what um, is table tipping? Table tipping is um, what you do is you get a group of people around a table, and you do not touch the table, but you have your hands hover just above it. And the collective energy of all of the people around the table may cause the table to move or to rock in response to a question posed. Mm. So you okay. would say, is there someone here with us? And if the table moves a little bit or vibrates or something like that, then that would be taken as a positive um, response. The girl Hannah mm. that I spoke about earlier this happened shortly after she died, and um, we were talking about her. And the table <laughs> was literally, and she made her presence known. By, um, she was like a, a ball of energy next to my cheek. I don't know how to explain it. That's just how it was in the beginning. And the table rocked like crazy. It was an amazing mm-hmm. experience. And even though I didn't see her, a friend of mine that was also at the table did see her. And I say, well, who did you see? And she said, I saw her cross over into the light. I said, what did she look like? She said, she was a petite, pretty blonde. Boom, that's what mm-hmm. Hannah was. So, you know, I just had, a, I, I met people. I had a lot of different experiences. It was kind of like my guides were saying, you can do all these different things. You can do this and this and this and that. And you know, things would be happening, and uh, I couldn't explain them. So that's why it took so long. Um, but it was it was different stuff. It wasn't mediumship for a very long time. I, there was other things going on. Um, I was being educated in different ways, I guess you would say. You know, it's so interesting because it takes me back. I, I guess I was familiar with it. I just didn't know what it's called. But it's like my teenage years when 
uh, light as a feather or I guess the table tipping, all those kind of physical expressions of uh, ghostly energy. But there is always mm-hmm. some kind of movie or horror story that says, don't do that, <laughs> you know what I mean? And <laughs> I've heard that it really takes a lot of energy for uh uh, ghostly energies. I'll, I'll use ghosts since that's what we're we've kind of accepted during this conversation. Um, and that it takes actually a great deal of, of of energy for them to manifest effect in the physical realm. So it's kind of like as tired as you were after your first sessions, they would be tired mm-hmm. after tipping tables or something. You know, I don't know. Um, I don't know. That I don't know. That's the one and only time that it ever happened. It was just, there was just a period of time where just and I just had amazing experiences out of the blue or, spi- or spontaneously or things like that. And um, I can't explain them, but it was, it really was. It was kind of like I was getting like a, a well-rounded uh, education, um, if, you know, with that. And then I started meditating and um, uh that helped to quiet the mind, and um, I think that it helps you to focus um, on things. And I have, would have experiences that went off into a different direction. Like um, I used to do the same meditation five days a week at the same time, um, and it was just a simple meditation of a chakra staircase. And after about three or four weeks of doing this, maybe even two, I started seeing people on the staircase, and long story short, it they were me on the staircase at different times in my life where I had trauma or something happened that I couldn't deal with, and so at that time, a little piece of my soul went out to the universe, and I learned later that the person, the, the part of me that showed up on the staircase came back, and it was a type of soul retrieval. Um, So Mm. my sister showed up on my staircase. My father, who was my primary guide by this time, he showed up at the top of my staircase. You know, so there was was a lot of different things. Um, I had a uh, guide appeared in my meditations. You know, people always are asking about guides, and, you know, for me, you know, people would, other mediums would say, oh, yeah, you have Bob and Glenn and stuff like that, and I didn't have no idea what they were talking about until I had my own guide show up in a very vivid dream. Um, and, of course, now we know that vivid dreams are uh, spiritual energy visitations. Mm-hmm. The hallmark, it's the hallmark of one is being that vivid. So it was things like that. So it was, I was being educated about soul retrieval, about spirit guides, about all kinds of stuff like that. I'd never heard about past lives and stuff, that, you know. So, I mean, my fingers were in everything. Mm-hmm. Did Did you do a, a school? A what? Any kind of a school, like a psychic development school or class at all? No, I wasn't. I, I I kept going on the fence and off the fence, on the fence and off the fence. I, you know, I I, I had a, a young son at this time that was born in 2002. So this was going on. He was like maybe six, seven years old. So 
Um, I did, was not able to devote a lot of time to it. And plus I was working, so um, I didn't take classes. I would just, you know, find books. Like like you mentioned, Many Lives, Many many Masters, Brian Weiss, um, mm-hmm. Alison Dubois, um, you know, uh, Edward Casey. So I read a lot of books. There was one out there um, called Where God Lives. Um, by a, um, a pediatric doctor, um, you know, that popped off a, a bookshelf for me. So mm. what I needed to learn was certainly presented in different ways for me. So I'd be on the fence, off the fence. It took me a really long time mm-hmm. to decide to go ahead and to see what happened if I took a class. Yeah. So... Now you do professional readings for clients and people. Um, I do. When when did you finally start, or how did you come to start doing them in, in for other people rather than just experiencing these kind of interesting, unique moments yourself? Um, I did take a I did take a class. Um, um. Um, I did take a class, and um, I did. Uh, I, I wasn't when I was taking the class and having to practice um, doing readings by phone. I would do these readings by phone, and I would have a head. I would wear a, um, um, a headset so my hands could be free, and then I would go to the front end of my house and. Um, after doing my prayers of protections and stuff like that, um, I would, I would, I'm not, can't even remember back then how I knew that they had joined me. But then I would ask them to point me into the direction that they were from, north, south, east, or west, and they, and I would turn, and I would turn to that direction, and I would know whether they were male or female. So I would start with that, and then I kind of just would wait for them to either show me something, because I didn't know what to expect in doing these things. Very often, they would take me, it became very, very physical. They would take me to another part of the house. If they, For example, if it was a woman who died in bed, I would, they would have, she would have me walk up to my bedroom and stare at my bed. Oh, did your mm-hmm. grandmother mm-hmm. die in her sleep? Yes, she did you know, and things like that, or if they went, or they would go into the kitchen and tap on the stove, oh, your grandmother was a fabulous cook, or they would open the refrigerator. Sometimes mm. if they were, you know, it was, it was very wild. I would walk like them, and, you know, sometimes it was funny. If they, I remember one time my husband came up, he was home, and somebody was, I was channeling somebody, and they had a limp, and I was walking down the hallway, the mm-hmm. way that they walked in life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, just, he just he was just totally startled. He was like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "That's the way you walk." <laughs> and then, you know, as it got as it got uh, kept going on, sometimes I would I found that I would speak exactly like them. Um, and as it kept going on, it's I, I would I would laugh like them, call them uh, by their nicknames and things like that, and. Uh, you know, you can't do that in front of somebody, you know, <laughs> with it's like mm-hmm. you were crazy or possessed or whatever. Well, it would be a scary thing, 
you know. Right. So it probably took a year and a half for me to be able to sit at a desk and use a speakerphone because I still needed my hands uh, to be able to sit down and to do a reading uh, on speakerphone. And um, once I was able to harness it like that and understand it, it, it's like, it was like having a new car. You want to do it all the time and, you know, drive everybody everywhere, you know, because it's so exciting. And then it calms down after a while, and that's what I had to go through. So I had to learn how to work with the energy. Um, and, of course, then I was like, why am I doing this? Should I do this? And stuff like that. So, And, and my family wasn't crazy that I was doing it either, my, my brothers and sisters. They were, they were afraid for me. Um, but I wasn't afraid. And the accuracy, when, when people would come back to me and say, you laughed exactly like my brother or, mm-hmm. you know, things of that nature. And as it progressed and, and I decided to, to do this for people, um, I'll never forget the first, in a, on a one-on-one in-person reading, um, the, the the soul that I was channeling wanted to hug my client, my sitter, and I asked if I may, and she said yes, and she was crying because that hug felt just like her father's hug. Mm. And to me, I went, wow. wow. That's, that's healing. That's, mm-hmm. that's got to be healing, and you know, I, I'm giggling on the inside with part of it because I keep thinking about Whoopi Goldberg and Ghost, <laughs> you know. And, of course, that was yeah. out when I was in high school, and I boo-hooed at the end, you know, with the, and the uh, little clay pot making the little clay together. Kind of thing. But, you know, for a while there was that tension of her, you know, trying to communicate the messages between Patrick Swayze and, and Demi Moore until finally he just said, forget this, I need to come into you. And he got a whoosh in, and then, then after that she was like, oh, my gosh, you know, that that made her the believer. But the kind of um, uh, dissonance of such a familiar mannerism in a non-familiar uh, body, I know, If it weren't for the comforting fact of it, then it would probably be rather kind of startling for most people if they weren't seeking it out uh, in in the reading session, (laughs) you know. Yes, yes. And, you know, another thing I discovered as as I have been doing this as the years have gone by is that I think that the – and I always tell my sitters, you know, they they understand how it's going to go. Uh, when I read, so that they're not taken by surprise, because I know it can be startling. Um, But recently, um, it's been kind of funny with a few, I've been doing online galleries, and um, um, I think that the older the soul is, the better they are at blending with me. In, In other words, an older soul will understand what needs what they need to do to use my body. I don't know how else to put it, mm-hmm. to use my body. And it's like sometimes <laughs> the connection is really just amazing. And there's been a few occasions where my eyes have closed and my sitter and the soul have a one-on-one conversation mm. between them. Okay. Which is fascinating. So I don't know. I'm... I, uh, 
you know, Edgar Casey was a trance medium, and and uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if that is trance, but it sounds fascinating to me anyway to try to figure out what the difference is between a regular blending and then trancing or something like that. I don't know. Mm. It sounds like you've got more years of discovery. Isn't that exciting? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's I like you learn do. something new every day, right? Yes, yes. It's uh, it's funny. It's funny you mention that because just about last June, I was up here in my office, and um, uh, I was being compelled to draw. And I don't draw. I could not draw. I can't draw anything. You know, I can do stick figures and things like that. It's pretty funny. <laughs> so I thought, well, okay, if there's somebody here that likes to help me with this drawing, go for it. So uh, within moments, I started uh, drawing, and I know it wasn't me, and this face is taking shape, and then the shoulders and the chest and Mm -hmm. torso and legs, and it's um, an Indian, an American Indian, Mm -hmm. and um, I have never seen one dressed up the way they this guy was dressed. And so when I finished, um, I sent the drawing to a friend of mine, Vaughn, who is um, Native American, and I asked him if he recognized uh, the garb, uh, um, the way he wore his hair, because it was a very uh, different style. And he seemed to have war paint on him, and, I mean, he made me go put little dots where they were supposed to be and stuff like that, and he's wearing a medicine bag around his chest. And Vaughn came back, and he said, yeah, he looks Pawnee. And so um, when I had first started drawing, I drew a, a wolf's head. I tried to draw a wolf's head because one of my guides is a shaman, and he has a, um, a wolf skull and pelt on his head. And I thought that's what I was supposed to be drawing. And um, I went back, and so I looked at the Pawnee flag, and the wolf that I drew is on their flag. Mm. So, so automatic drawing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, automatic. Did drawing. you ever receive any? Uh, did you ever receive any uh, additional message around that drawing? He's a new guide. He is um, not a medicine man, but he is a warrior, and he does. Um, he is um, working with a shaman, and he has come to work with me. I have um, recently uh, started taking a class called the Shamanic Path, um, taught by Don Simmons over at the Phoenix and Dragon mm-hmm. here in mm-hmm. uh, Roswell, Georgia, and mm-hmm. um, I imagine he's showed up to help me on this path, which is um, seems very familiar to me and has served to really bring a lot of different elements of um, my past 10 years or whatever it is together into something more cohesive. So uh, shamanic healing is in my future. Um, mm-hmm. I've, um, I've, and my, all of my guides are indigenous. Everyone. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so it makes perfect sense. So um, you know, perhaps I was a shaman in a past life, 
and he has come to help me pull it all together. I don't know. But well, I, I will say it's interesting that you mentioned that because over the course of some months with the various um, psychics who have been on the shows and also then uh, some of the topical shows that I've been having on Thursday, there seems to be almost a return or an emergence of the energy of the indigenous paths, whatever that looked like, be it shamanism, uh, the Orisha, if you're in the Afrocentric um, pathways, um, the the more pagan or the oldest uh, Viking and Norse and kind of pathways, uh, the earth connected. That's the common thing among indigenous pathways is real respecter of of all oneness with the earth and the elements and animals and people and it seems like there is an emerging theme that is returning people back to that energy in very strong ways and i certainly believe that um you know that's purposeful as we're healing the planet and starting to rebalance the patriarchy and matriarchal mm-hmm. uh, and respecting the earth. So I find it very, very interesting. In you know, and the whole intersection of, um, you know, through reincarnation, we understand that you know we have been many things in our past lives. Yes. That we yes. have been, um, you know. French or Native American or Japanese, like there is no cultural barrier to the past life experience. You know, you you haven't right. always been uh, an African American through all your lives. You haven't always been a mm-hmm. Caucasian American in all of your lives. And so it's very interesting to hear the term shaman coming forward, more and more people following a shamanic yeah. uh, training kind of integration. Right. And then more and more attention being paid to the teachings of the indigenous uh, return, you know, like the white buffalo calf woman and the black snake prophecies. I mean, just uh, it's just like a a pattern emerging that it seems to me from sitting at this kind of hub point of these conversations. You know, um, now I had a question. I had a question back in. in, uh, in 2011, I went to um, an 11-11-11 conference in uh, mm. Florida, and I met a woman there who was um, of Cherokee descent. Her her grandmother had taught her the Cherokee ways, and she invited me to uh, come to a sweat lodge building um, in the Georgia mountains, and uh you know, I was like, thank you very much. You know, it didn't sound appealing to me at all or something that I would do at all. But as it turned out, I was compelled to go. And I went by myself because uh, I didn't have anybody else to go with. That's how strong the com- the compulsion was. And the, we spent a weekend up in uh, Delanaga, and we built a sweat lodge, um, which was um, – uh, headed up by a man by the name of Carlos Sauer, uh, who was originally from Brazil and who had um, left Brazil early, studied with Michael Harner, who is uh, the Esalon Institute, uh, shamanic uh, teachings, 
And there he was adopted by a Cheyenne elder, and he taught him um, the Cheyenne ways. So at this sweat lodge, um, I did feel uh, wonderful healing energy in the lodge. And afterwards, Carlos asked if we had ever met before, and of course I told him we had not. And um, he said, okay. And a couple weeks later, just before Christmas, he um, asked if I would be interested in working with him uh, because Portuguese is his first language, and I'm a copywriter and photographer, so he was looking for someone to help him with photography and to help with his website and the grammar and all that. And we ended up working together for three years, and he taught me all the Cheyenne ways and taught me the spiritual philosophies and prophecies of um, the American Indian, which are starting to come to fruition about now with their seventh generation. Mm -hmm. So you'll Mm -hmm. notice that there has been an increase in um, media attention. It's not where it should be by any stretch of the imagination, but with all the pipelines, you know, they are making a presence. And the prophecy is is that the seventh generation will will rise to reunite the four races. Um, mm-hmm. So, the, and the, the shamanism, of course, you know, goes along with that as well. You know, it's, it's, it's really a way of life. It's understanding the energy connectedness, not only between us as people, but between us and all of the animals, whether they crawl, fly, swim, or walk on two or four legs, doesn't matter. Even so much as it goes to the the earth and the rocks and the trees and all that sort of stuff. And I was even taught in those. I, I do psychometry. And I'll never forget mm-hmm. the time somebody, we were on an investigation, somebody gave me a, some rocks. Said, here, tell me about these rocks. And I'm like, uh, I usually do jewelry, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. But by the end of the night, I had had a vision where the rocks were from, and I was right. So the big mm. lesson there was doesn't matter what it is. Energy is energy is energy. Whether it's rock energy, tree energy, bird, air, or water, we're connected to all of it. And that's what the return is. We've forgotten so much. We've lost our connectedness to the earth and our environment and the planet that feeds us because we spend all our time in concrete. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I often, I often take <laughs> my, you know, if I'm doing a meditation type work or I'm feeling like I'm needing to ground, it's like standing on concrete is not sufficient. You know, it needs to be on the grass not on the pavement for me, you know. It's like I definitely feel a shift in connection um, from being indoors, and it's only a few inches of material, but it certainly is miles of difference to me in energetic uh, perception, and, and just that I can feel in in my chakras and in my body if I'm standing in go. the grass, you know. That's and it. That's I have a lot exactly. of friends who are like, a lot of friends are like, oh, I can't believe you walk barefoot. You know, you need to pay. And it, you know, certainly <laughs> I would not walk barefoot on most of the pavement or sidewalks because of the icky factor because people do all kinds of things on the sidewalk. But, 
you know, and I grew up in uh, Kansas and Ohio, and one thing I will say, in Ohio, I love the smell in Kansas, the smell of the rich brown earth. Down here in Georgia, the red clay experience is a little different in terms of finding an earthworm in your hand and loose soil turned over, Um, and I do miss that about Ohio, but uh, something about the smell of the earth and, and touching it, touching a tree, you know, uh, earthing, mm-hmm. as they call it, it does make earthing, a huge Earthing, yeah, difference. isn't that funny? <laughs> <laughs> right, it's a thing now, that's right? That's so funny. <laughs> I, well, I think that, personally, I think that the uh, the electromagnetic field of the earth does indeed balance and align our chakras, you know, because we are a, our nervous system is our energy center. So when we go outside, and I think you don't, you don't necessarily have to stick your feet in the lawn, but you can sit outside and, you know, pay attention to the birds. I, I tend to weed a lot. That's, that's how I keep my body busy. My mind can connect with creator. you know, and mm-hmm. I've learned so much about all the critters that come out of the <laughs> snakes and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So, um, very connected to the. I, I, we're just trying. We're starting to get re, reconnect with the earth. Was, you know, that's the shift. It's that energy shift. Now I do have a question because you know we talk a lot about um, in in current societal issues. The term cultural appropriation is a very touchy yeah. subject and. You know, I have to be honest, I've been very sensitive as an African-American or a black woman to the idea that, you know, blackface at Halloween is not okay. It's never okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, I get that clearly. But I had not thought about the Native American dress costumes until recently. And my cousin, uh, who works with the the, uh, I think the Ponca tribe of Nebraska, you know, she gently pointed out, uh, or maybe not so gently in the last couple of years, but she, you know, about this kind of issue. And I was like, you know what? I never thought about that, that it is, you know, I knew the Redskins as the team name. I'd been following the litigation with that and certainly didn't think that that was okay. But the more I kind of examined it, I was like, well, yeah, you're wearing a headdress that is like a mockery of a ceremonial kind of situation. So as as like a non-tribe member entering into a teaching relationship with a person then who is connected with that, you know, what is that experience like? is it a welcoming experience across the board, or do you find that some uh, more indigenous are like, mm, this is for us, or is it more like we embrace all who want to learn the ways of of this pathway? Well, I, I think that I think it would depend on who you talked with. I. Um, uh, been involved with uh, on both sides of that. Um, Carlos, um, he uh, when we work together, he goes to Europe twice a year and he builds sweat lodges and he uh, does shamanic healing. And uh, American Indian culture is very big in Europe because they don't have anything like that. And um, 
when we first started working together, he would bring groups of uh, Europeans to uh, the U.S. to observe a sun dance or to go to the Grand Canyon and visit the Havasupai tribe down there. Um, and one of the first people that Carlos met at a sun dance was one of the people who were, you know, what are you white folks doing here? This isn't for you. You're, you know, this is sacred ceremony and that. And he and Vaughn actually became good friends after they had a, discovered they had a mutual interest. So there are um, there are communities. There's 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 splits. You know, a lot of it is you know we will share ceremony with you. Um, doesn't make you Indian, but we'll teach you. We'll share our knowledge or our spiritual philosophy. You know, we're being all interconnected and to be the caretakers of Mother Earth. Uh, the stewards to teach you your relationships between the animals. Uh, you know, when you pull a, a potato out of the ground, you put something back in gratitude. Um, uh, they're very respectful. Everyone has a voice. It is respectful to listen to the other person. Don't have to agree. Don't have to like what they say. But respect is one of the benchmarks. Uh, they're matriarchal uh, in a lot of stuff, but there are the others. And then the other side is, we get out of here. We don't want to share our culture with you. You've been diluted. We, your history books don't even come close to telling the story of how it went. Um, and they are still, you know, struggling in our own country where their own First Nation status isn't even recognized. So mm-hmm. um, it's it's a, a cause, it's a culture that's very dear to me. Um, many people, you know, ask me if I'm Native, and I'm, I'm not. I'm German-Irish, you know. So mm-hmm. um, it's it split. It's, uh, but, but the Halloween costumes are insulting for sure. First of all, what they're wearing are war bonnets. And women did not wear war bonnets, and they did not wear feathers in their hair. They dressed modestly. Even if you go to a sweat lodge these days, it's cover your arms, cover your chest, and wear a long dress, you know, in the lodge. Um, so uh, there's a lot to be upset about for sure. And the mascots, you know, if you look into the history of what a redskin is, you would be appalled. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. Because it was two bucks yeah. of scalp, you know. So yeah. Yeah. every time you see that, you're not thinking about what that means to the indigenous of our country. And they're a beautiful thing. I don't understand. You know, they should be celebrated. You know, as a people, as a First Nations, as a culture, elevated and lifted up. Their culture is beautiful. You know, and. Um, it, it, it hurts me deeply to see that, that they suffer so much. Well, you know, it is it's very challenging because, like, I spent a bit of time in Mexico last year, six months, and mm. I, too, felt a pull to go there. The Mayan uh, energy in the yeah. river, Yucatan Peninsula and the Mayan energy, and I understand that I have had past lives in that um uh, culture, uh, which is partly why I have such a strong pull there. But 
certainly mm-hmm. there is a tourist energy, and it's never it is it's completely you cannot ignore the fact that colonialism is what is made most of the indigenous peoples to be last nations, unfortunately, economically and with power and property holding uh, because of that uh, colonialist um, takings of all of this. So I'm in the most beautiful beaches in the North American continent probably, and the Mayans are absolutely the lowest wage, lowest class. Um, in terms of all the servers, housekeepers, and they're they're managing for a predominantly white or certainly Eurocentric cultural to come vacation in luxury in lands that used to be theirs that they now no longer own, and a great portion of the tourism industry is supported by bringing people to see. Um, some would say spectacle, other would say educational. Um, of, now it's ayahuasca. In my culture. Oh, I did ayahuasca. Ah, it was great. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you gotta no, go now. You gotta go to Peru. You have to do ayahuasca. Oh, I've done ayahuasca. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. But I did Temescal, which is the basically their version of sweat lodge. But there are certain, you know, you go off into the Mayan communities, and when I asked to be going to a, a Temescal, I did ask to go to one that was less touristy. A lot of the resorts now have a little Temescal that they do for people who are getting married and they market it as part of that. But I wanted to go off into uh, the jungle area. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I went off into a community that I had seen and it, it was a shaman and absolutely truthful, you know, he had, uh, elder and a younger who had been learning from him since a very young age, but I know that what we received was not the, even though it was in the community structure, I'm sure that the that it was cleansed of our touristy energy after we would come, and they reserved the time of the traditional Temescal in the moon cycles for the community, which was still practicing. But that tourist income absolutely is what supported that small Mayan community. So it's almost like right. a catch-22 because – I certainly received the, a healing during my Temascal um, ceremony, and uh-huh. I, I would have loved to participate, but I know I would have been an interloper because it really was the community intimate church service, so to speak, um, right. and going, you know, what they did normally. And when I did have opportunity to do the ayahuasca, it was with a shaman who. Um, he actually had gone to Brazil over a period of like eight years and learned to um, the medicine path in the Amazon. And it was through a practice called Santo Daimi, which is a syncretized practice. So it's very much a blend of Catholicism and African ancestral practices. But it was brought oh, yeah. to the to the Riviera Maya with the Mayans, you know, and so there was this blending of cultures, but it very much went an ancient pathway with the, the grandmother, as they call ayahuasca. And I, there were no cultural uh, 
barriers. It was a group of eight or ten of us each time, and we were from all over the world. But the teacher absolutely was of an indigenous uh, biology for certain. You know, he was Mexican and had been then to Brazil and learned directly from a shaman. And then a lady from Brazil, from that community, actually was with him the first time that we had the ceremony. So it, it is such a tricky area, you know, um, and one that I think most people who are really engaged in learning the shaman pathway are very much wanting to be in the healing, not the commoditization of a product. You know, I'm sure that you are not looking to acquire your shaman knowledge so that you can then sell readings for a different price. You're looking at it because you're drawn to it as a healing modality first for self. And then possibly for others, but, you know, I would assume that if it, if it's not anything that you ever do for others, you would still be fine with that because you're being enriched by the knowledge that you're gaining from these teaching opportunities, learning opportunities. Well, it's, 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 um, it's a many-faceted uh, area for discussion for sure, you know, um, it's kind of like if you start at the beginning, you know, ayahuasca and the teas that are psychedelic um, were not generally taken as a community. They were usually reserved for the medicine man or the shaman who is the person that, you know, was the glue in the community. Um, and so it wasn't something that as far as – it could be different in different cultures, even within the Amazon um, or in South America, that kind of a thing. Um, but to see it, and, and Carlos, you know, I, we talked about it, you know, and he is um, um, far more advanced than me, obviously, but um, it's supposed to be a spiritual tool uh, for the shaman mm-hmm. to use when, you know, there needs questions to be answered relative to the um well-being of the community that he's a part of. Um, I I hate to see the commercialization of it because it has become commercialized. And, you know, your experience to me sounds like a very authentic one that is being shared from the heart. There are places out there and there are people out there that do, you know, that are not as well-intentioned or do not have the experience, you know, and it has become commercialized. And, you know, as with any drug, you know, a psychedelic, you know, it's it's a a slippery slope. But um, you could say the same thing about peyote in the American church, Um, um, you know, that the the Cheyenne, I think, are the ones that do. Because Carlos is the adopted father, was a journeyman or a roadman. So it doesn't appeal to me um, really to do it. I I have found, especially in uh, the shamanic um, journeying that I've learned how to do in Don's class has been very healing um, uh, for me. So I'm not sure I'd ever go the ayahuasca route, but, you know, different people have different callings. Like you were saying, you know, you felt drawn to do this and I have learned I follow my compulsions so I respect that Mm. 
Well, I was never expecting, honestly, to encounter it there. And I knew about the whole, you know, Peru, Costa Rica pipeline for the Aya experience. And it did come to me very much divinely orchestrated. I have no absolute mm-hmm. doubt about that. I'm going to have a radio show, actually, uh, one of our broadcasts on Thursday is going to be about the medicine path with the peyote, the sapo, uh, which is the frog mm-hmm. medicine and the vine um, experiences. Um, you know, part of the whole thing of the fact that now you have to, if you want to go to Peru or Costa Rica, you're looking at like a $2,000 experience, maybe 2500 wow. depending. You know, I've seen wow. them anywhere from 1500 to 2500 $2,500 for a well-reviewed well type experience. This kind of experience has happened in all over the place now that it's become kind of like the hot thing. But um, they, they have a Facebook page. <laughs> yeah, Facebook well, there's... for ayahuasca. Yeah, <laughs> you know, everybody wants to be connected, <laughs> and now it's become kind of like the trendy thing yeah. that those with disposable income do. But really the most common of the common people who, that's where the healing is needed. I I just dislike seeing things go over the class divide to where it becomes a matter of finances or not. The same way with health care. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like either you have the money to get good health care or you don't. You have the money to get these boutique now kind of spiritual experiences versus not, and many times I don't see that the money is actually returned to the community where the knowledge originated from, and those are the communities that are dwelling in the most poverty. So that's kind of one of my personal little crusades when I'm looking at um, all things spiritual is to say that, you know, spirituality should not become a commodity of of finance, you know, but I do respect that people invest in their gifts and their abilities, and you certainly want a person who's familiar with ayahuasca on a very deep and intimate way if you're going to be swallowing it, you know what I'm saying? So Exactly, especially so, since it's a psychedelic. I mean, you don't know how your body's going to react to it. It's not part right. of – one of the things that was brought up to me is that, you know, in the communities that – um, where ayahuasca is um, a part of their culture, it has been for thousands of years. As long as it, you know, it's been there. It's a part of the community that are. Um, it's, I think shamanism. Uh, the shaman is it father to son. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it is. You know, it's not. It's just not looked at part of their culture. You could almost like say it's a cultural appropriation, just like going to, you know, going to sweat lodges up here. We're not native. Sweat lodges aren't part of our, you know, culture. Some tribes will let us go in and some won't, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's not the culture. It, it, I, I think it's, I think the difference between having an ayahuasca ceremony and going into a sweat lodge are like night and day, you know? I, I don't think I could do it unless I actually knew or trusted the the shaman um, to do that. But that's just the way well, that I am. I'm very fearful. You know, I, 
<laughs> we'll have to come back uh, for uh, I have to come on the show myself and get interviewed <laughs> about my experience because it was one of those wild journeys, kind of like your ghost uh, hunting experience that you're like, wow, I ended up in the middle of a real life, uh, you know, almost like fiction story <laughs> with the yeah. just experience, but it's not a real life experience right now. <laughs> Now, I did have a question from, I had a question from one of the chat rooms. Let me get back to it here. Um, They were wanting to know if during your trance um, or what you would refer to as when your eyes closed and have that dialogue, are you aware of the dialogue that is occurring or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. um, I Right. There's, I guess I'm. I've actually joined a couple of um, trance development uh, Facebook groups, and what I'm finding is that um, there's the way that the Americans train uh, in their mediumship is very different than the way the Europeans, particularly in the UK, train. Over there, they will um, sit in what's called a home circle. Um, five days a week, you know, or they'll sit, you know, for years, you know, to get to the level where trance would be even a, a possibility. Over here, it's like you want to take a couple of classes and then see if you can try it. On the Facebook pages of the groups that I've joined, there's a, a big discussion on what exactly is trance. Edgar Casey, the sleeping medium, you know, he would lay down and he would go into trance and he would tell you that he would not remember anything that he said. Mm-hmm. Um, I studied with, um, or I did a meditation um, workshop with uh, a fellow a couple of years ago and that's what we did. We had a, he actually, what he did is he created a home circle and we went every week and we sat in the dark. I mean, he even taped up the windows so that there was no light coming in from anywhere. And um, it was fascinating. So in, for me, in trance, it seems to me that if you are in a deep trance or if you're a deep trance channel like he was, you don't remember what it transpires while you're gone, while you're in trance. Um, for me, um, I never go anywhere at any time. I'm always conscious. I'm always present. I can stop a reading. Um, I can speak for the other soul that's joined me if they do not understand how to um, either uh, to manipulate or work my body or if they don't know what uh, if they can't speak, you know, I, like I said before, I think the more evolved the soul is, the easier it is. So these must be young souls. They'll show me images. They'll show me symbols of, um, you know, what their personality was like and stuff like that. But uh, even when the eyes closed, um, I was still present. And I heard everything. Um, but it was kind of like step, it's truly stepping aside. I, you know, I might do things like one time I was just playing, I was at a restaurant just playing with the napkin and I have no idea why I was playing with the napkin, but the person that I was channeling was nervous. And so that was a habit of his. Mm. So, um, no, I'm always present. I can, um, I, I do remember 
most of everything that happens and what's said. Now, do you, like, record, like, in, in your work sessions where you're not working with a client, where you're just, you know, exploring uh, energies that are presenting, it, it, do you do that, for one, or it, are you mostly doing client-based interactions? I'm not sure I understand your question. Well, like, like if <laughs> Me you, recording. Like, if, well, like if you're if you know that you're going to practice or you're going to you're at home and you're going to have a conversation, like you feel an energetic presence around, and you're not having a client reading, do you? How do you memorialize in this conversation that you're having if you're not in a client dynamic where you're relaying messages? I'm wondering if you journal. Or I've seen a couple oh. people who on their YouTube channel have like a questioner who then the the more trancey channel type thing where they respond to a neutral questioner, not a client, or they ask themselves questions and record that conversation, either audio, video, or writing as it's happening. I, you know, I guess I'm wondering if you if you have private like sessions where you're like, okay, who's here, <laughs> or if you are basically just engaging with the purpose of doing a client reading. You know, oh, I I um I don't practice. Um, I only channel when I do readings for a client. Um, okay. I do a lot over Skype, um, as we did. Uh, because it's very important mm-hmm. that in person is the best for sure, this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, then Skype uh, would be next because a lot of the um, a lot of the stuff I do is very uh, symbol oriented. For example, if someone died of a stroke to the left side of their head, they may have me tap the left side of my head, so mm-hmm. I know that what that what that represents, or um, underneath an eye or an ear or whatever it is. Um, and sometimes um, there are new symbols that I don't understand what they're trying to convey, you know. Um, but for the most part, we've got a pretty good routine going on. So I don't practice. Um, I do do online galleries and some of the groups that I'm in um, to see how other people um, do their readings um, and just to get gallery practice because I'd like to – I'd like to do galleries someday, um, mm-hmm. but I, I don't practice like you're thinking well, of. No. I journal well, I, sometimes. I, you know, well, you know, I know that you, your initial in, encounters were not client-driven at all. You know, you were, like, learning and, <laughs> and practicing, <laughs> you know. No, so I journaled those. Yeah. <laughs> I recorded those phone. I recorded a lot of those phone calls, and they've never, you know, been heard by anybody um, besides myself. And I uh, noticed early on that I I needed to record them because the way I was reading was so, to me, bizarre. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. Um, and I had a lot of experiences like that o- over the years where. I got to taking pictures of stuff because I would think of something, and the next thing you know, it would be there or it would manifest or, 
you know, it was mm-hmm. such an amazing story or experience that people wouldn't believe it happened. And so I'd take a picture and go, see, here it is. And um, right. I did a lot of like that in the beginning, but not so much anymore. It's, the more I get to understand it, the, um, the less journaling I think I've been doing. Oh, I definitely have been that whole, you're not going to believe this kind of <laughs> um <laughs> Chronicling, thanks to the cell phone era, you know, I, it makes it a lot easier to be able to yes. quickly. I would go to class and have there. an amazing experience, and I'd dictate into my phone on the way home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, that's the one thing I tell people all the time. If you want to start to uncover your gifts more, if you're not a writer, pulling out a pen and paper is kind of out of your practical feeling, pull out your phone and do a record a voice note. You know, if it's nothing but a dream, a hunch, a synchronicity, uh, you know, something that's seemingly random, go ahead and capture that. Uh, If you feel like you had a conversation with your uh, departed grandfather, like, you know, I just heard grandfather say, you know, uh, blah, 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 mm-hmm. go ahead and record it, you know, because Absolutely. pretty soon you will come aware. It's not just you having a conversation with yourself, uh, possibly. It's Very definitely another worldly connection. Now, Very how true. can people... I... Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. You were saying very true. <laughs> Oh, it's very true. If you you know to to journal and memorialize and to write down those things, I like the the uh, the Indian that I drew, you know, is now framed and you know in my office. Years ago, uh, the same thing happened, except I built this a Greek snow woman on the front stoop of my house, you know. So uh, take pictures of things and uh, dictate absolutely those things. I'm doing that now with the shamanic journeys that were. That, that's going on in Don's class, they've been amazing, totally new experiences. So I'll have a shamanic journey, and, and it'll be crazy, and I have to write it down because it's so significant. Usually it'll, they'll end up being significant. So, yes, I would mm-hmm. encourage everybody to uh, keep a journal. Now, have you had past life uh regressions or your own journey into past lives before, you know, the shamanic type work that you're experiencing now? Um, I've, I've, um, I've done a past life regression and I did one, um, I think it was last year with, um, Bo Lawton. I think he was on your, yeah, it was his brother Nick. His brother Nick. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, Nick um, and Bo are both so amazing. I haven't had they? Nick on the show yet, but Bo has been on there, and he, and both of them have read at our Vibrary Elevation stations yeah. before. So they have a strong he, family energy yeah. in the psychic yeah, abilities. absolutely. Bo is amazing. So is Nick. Um um, so I've, I've had a one or two of those kinds of readings, but in this um, class that with Don, um, we did a regression to find out the shaman that we were before, and um, I had uh, missed that class, so I was doing a makeup class, so I did that one, that meditation in the morning, and 
I was not ready for it, and um, he did a different meditation in the afternoon, and I, I know, there's a part of me that says he tricked me because when I went, jumped over to the other mountain, it was me as the shaman that was my guide in the meditation like five years ago. So mm-hmm. it's been interesting. Yeah. Well, this whole thing is, you know, I, I love being kind of in the psychic life and these uh, interviews that I get to talk with people about stuff are just very affirming for me personally mm-hmm. uh, because there's a conversation that can occur that is, you know, rather judgment-free. And I know you said yeah. that your family members had some reservations about your um, psychic journey. Uh, yeah. uh, can you share any uh, thing about that uh, in terms of their hesitations or convictions? I think I think it it uh, is just because um, you know it can be a fearful thing for people, you know. Um, I've come to the conclusion that, you know, we are where we're supposed to be and we're doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And while I'm going through one door um, to reach, you know, the, the what I'm supposed to be doing, there's a thousand other doors. So as long as you're headed toward, you know, uh, becoming the best person that you can be or that kind of a thing, I don't think it matters which door you go through. My my family were fearful for me, and I understand that because there's never been any kind of talk like this in my family. So it was kind of mm-hmm. um, it was nice at first, you know, mom coming to me on the plane and all that. But then I think they would have been happy if it just stopped right there. But mm-hmm. my experience continued on, and you know, I would share them with them, and then when after my father died and the mediumship started, I mean, I was jumped by a ghost the first two times. So mm-hmm. to them, that was very scary. And then Jim was being in the, you know, an investigator. That was kind of scary too. So, you know, it wasn't part of their life experience. And here in Atlanta, we're kind of like um, a hub for the metaphysical, I think, you know, mm-hmm. so, um it's not so unusual down here, even though it's unusual to hear about it in the South. You know, it's it's still kind of strange. So we've uh, gone through times where, you know, they just, they just really didn't want to hear about my experiences, which, of course, made mm-hmm. me sad because they were fabulous to me and exciting and God-driven. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. playing. It was God-driven. I'm doing this for a reason. I want to help people heal spiritually and emotionally, mm-hmm. psychologically. And, um, you know, it was only just so recently where that element of mediumship has become so pronounced. You know, if you get a hug that feels like your father's hug, wow. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you know he's still there. And you can see, if I tell you that he's aware of what's going on and you talk about what's going on in your life and, and you know, you never mentioned a word of it to me, then, you know, it's genuine and it's reassuring and it's calming and it uh, reduces anxiety and stress and wonder about what I like to call what comes next. You know, mm-hmm. people are afraid of nothing. We've, we've commercialized death in this country and right. there's a new trend of uh, home funerals coming back. 
Well, I want to be buried as a tree. I've seen those going around Facebook where you can uh, become a bag and they plant a seed in you oh, and the yeah. next thing you know, you know, you can grow as a tree. But um, now, have I'll you ever that. had, have, have you had any experiences that did feel uh, or trigger fear from you? I mean, I know your first experience was startling, but you said you weren't afraid. Have you ever had any no. experiences that you were like, oh, no. <laughs> Um, not really. I, I have been blessed. I have um, not had any um, negative um, experiences. I've had a couple of scares because of something happening that was unexpected. Um, that's about as far as I could go. I, I've, I've seen full body apparitions in my bedroom when I was in my early 20s and went right back to sleep. Um, you know, I think blending with another soul could be, <laughs> you know, comfortable with that. So um, I have been blessed to have always been protected and um, always have had a positive healing experience or journey mm-hmm. um, since this all started. And I've noticed that as I've gone down the path of things that you wouldn't normally think about, judgment falls to the side um, and you see things in a different way and you do start to live more in the moment rather than worrying about what's coming up in the next week or what somebody else is going to say, you know, because you're not Mm -hmm. responsible for their journey either. So, you know, live in a a loving way, uh, be connected with each other, live in the moment and do everything with kindness and love and good intentions. Mm -hmm. So I've been really lucky. Nothing, nothing bad. Now you mentioned that you know, it's not always about like a soul needing to be released to go into the light. But would you say that if you had to percentage-wise, that half the time it's for the peace of the person requesting the reading more than it is for the peace of the spirit? And the other half of the time is the opposite way, or you, would you be able to classify the type of medium encounter that is occurring? Um, well, I would say that in in 100% of the readings that I have done, as far as mediumship goes, there's been, at the very least, um, a release of fear and anxiety um, for my Mm -hmm. sitter Um, Mm -hmm. because we are, you know, in many of the organized religions, you know, you either go to heaven or you go to the other place and, you know, you, you believe what you're taught as a child. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like I said before, I think that most people don't even give the next world any thought until they have lost someone close to them. And then they start mm-hmm. to wonder, and then they start to worry, or perhaps they actually have a visit and they don't understand it, you know, or perhaps something spontaneously has happened for them, you know, that perhaps they be suddenly, you know, see a dream and they are, they realize they're precognizant or whatever it is. It's mm-hmm. all about the connectedness and being able to reconnect a sitter with someone that they thought they would never connect with again mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is amazing. It's amazing. And the healing uh-huh. is 
for real. I know that if there's such a thing as a life review after you die, for sure my Mm -hmm. dad realized at that time that he didn't do so well in a couple of areas with me. And I know that he reached back for me and he sent people to me um, to help me learn how to release and let go of those things that no longer serve. And it could be Mm -hmm. so much as a phrase. You know, I used to describe him as, you know, um, in a certain way. And my sister actually came to me in a voice and said, you know, you're not that same person anymore. You need to let that go. Look how far you've come. So, again, another energy lesson. The words are very, very powerful. And in order to heal, Mm -hmm. you have to learn to let, to stop giving energy to certain things, you know. Mm -hmm. So. For sure. So healing that I mean with my father, um, absolutely he healed and I healed. And I'm much happier in a much better place than I have been mm-hmm. in my whole life. Mhm. Now uh, one of our chat questions wanted to know before a sitter comes to you or you're contacted for an appointment, Will you get any kind of indication from their loved one that they are coming? You know, that's interesting. You should ask that. I was, um, when I first started out, um, I was doing a a reading for a medium in Louisiana, and we had a time set up. uh, um, I forgot about the time difference, so I um, I had some time to, waist and so I went on a walk around the neighborhood and as I was walking around I started getting images in my head of a young man dressed in a flannel shirt of a twisted chrome pipe, a feeling of dread and that kind of a thing and and a name that I didn't recognize so when I got home from my walk I went and I wrote it all down and then when we had our reading um he came through, but he did not um, reference having visited me earlier. So um, at the end of the reading, um, I asked her, I said, I told her what happened. I said, can I tell you, you know, what I got? And she said, sure. She said, yeah, that's the same guy, and um, his name was, I can't even remember what it was. She goes, I told him to find you. I -hmm. said, what? She mm. said, well, she said, I realized that you, we had some time to kill, so I told him to go find you, and he did. Mm-hmm. So I found that incredible. I was fascinated with that. And so when I have a, a reading with a sitter, usually about an hour beforehand or half an hour beforehand, I will tell them that if there's someone in particular that they would like to hear mm-hmm. from or connect with, to ask that person to find me, and mm-hmm. ten out of ten times, nine and a half, um, mm-hmm. it has happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I find that fascinating. And there again is your other lesson in being connected. You know, mm-hmm. doesn't matter past, present, future. In in life, in spirit, I can read a live person just as easily as I can read someone who's crossed over. So Mm -hmm. it's another lesson in that connectedness, you know, and to ask for what you need. Sometimes it's not so hard to give you what you need. Mm -hmm. Ask for it. Right. (laughs) 
we think about the logical steps it takes to receive something, you know, well, I'm miles away, she's in Louisiana, I'm in Georgia, and it's like, oh, no, you know, the spirit realm is a little different, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and, 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 and just, you know, that she sent him, you know, go find her. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, mm-hmm. so do we have a energy signature? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, does our light, shine a different color? I have no idea, but the energies found each other. My energy, his energy found my energy, and I find that fascinating. That really is. So I want to share with our listeners this evening that we have a special treat because Karen has agreed or offered to provide a 30-minute complimentary reading for one of our listeners to tonight's show. Now, how you can be entered for this, there is on the Vibrarian Facebook page. For those of you that are on Facebook, there is a post that I have that was made um, earlier in the day today, and it describes the show, and it's got a link to Karen's name. And in the comments, there are several notations from things that we have talked about this evening, books that she has shared, um, entries to more information about table tipping and uh, Where God Lives book, and uh, we'll provide some additional documentation. I'm also going to post in the comments the um Sign up here to be entered for the free reading. So watch for that just a few minutes after the show goes. And for the next, uh, I guess, day or so, I'll leave that post open. And then I will draw from all the names of people who say, you know, just shout out. Say I was listening. I want to be entered in the reading. Hello. Any kind of thing to let me know that you were listening tonight and that um, that. You want to be entered in the drawing for the reading. And if you are not on Facebook, then certainly email me to have your name included. And all I need is your first name and a way to contact you. And you can email uh, Joelle, J-O-E-L-L-E, at the Vibrarian, P-H-E-B-I-B-E-R-A-R-I-A-N.com. And again, uh, tonight is Tuesday, so I will announce uh, the winner on Thursday night's show. So I'll keep the contest open until Thursday evening or so, Um, probably about, let's say, 6 o'clock. I know it's not super formal, you know, this is not Publishers Clearinghouse here. Um, so I, you know, and I know we have a great listening audience of people who are tuning in from week to week. We've had people in the chat room. I've gotten questions over text. And then, of course, we've had the people who have called in on the phone line to join in this evening. So I really appreciate everyone who's tuned in. And, Karen, I really appreciate your time. Can you tell people how they can reach you if they are interested in having a session with you uh, just as a regular booking? Um, All you have to do is go to my professional Facebook page. It's Karen Mac, it's a psychic medium, Karen McAfee, and just drop me a message and let me know uh, what type of a reading you'd like to have. I also do um, fortune telling cards and oracle cards, um, as well as mediumship. 
Awesome. And we do have you tagged in all the posts on the Vibrarian page, so you can stop there and link directly to the show. And I do want to let you know that the Psychic Inside shows, as well as the rest of the programming on the Vibrator Radio Network, are posted over to my YouTube channel within a week or so of them airing. So I don't have a YouTube signature name yet, but you can search for The Vibrary, V-I-B-E-R-A-R-Y, and there you will find all the shows that have already aired um, up to a couple weeks ago. You can also subscribe to this podcast on the iTunes podcast directory if you just search for The Psychic Inside You can get a download so you can listen on your morning commute. And, of course, these episodes remain on the Blog Talk Radio interface uh, forever and ever and ever. So you can always come back and uh, hear more of the fascinating stories that people are sharing about their life. I I absolutely agree, Karen. You said that it was an interesting story, and now that I've heard it, I absolutely agree, and I'm so excited that you were able to spend this time with me this evening. Did you have any final thoughts for the listeners this evening about the psychic journey? Um, Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate that. Um, As far as any final words, just move forward with um, an open heart and um, good intentions and love. Mm -hmm. Everything with love. Wouldn't everything be so much better if we just started from that place first? (laughs) It would, and and really good intentions because, you know, words are so powerful, but if the intention behind them is not a positive one, then the words are meaningless, eh? Absolutely. Intentions are everything, yeah. Absolutely, that intention of love fueling it, you know. That's kind mm-hmm. of the key there. You can't have ill intentions if you're sending out love. <laughs> you know? That's but, um, true. Karen, that's true. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, Karen, so, yeah, I thank you for confident. joining me this evening and uh, for being on the Psychic Inside Show. And to all of our listeners, I hope that you will tune back in Thursday evening to the Vibrarian Show and see what interesting topic we have lined up. It's the same channel, same time, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time from week to week. And this has been the Psychic Inside Show. My name is Joel, and I'm the Vibrarian. I hope that you feel elevated, enlightened, and empowered. I certainly do after spending this time talking with Karen. I wish you all of the blessings that you can hold this week to overflowing and an abundance of all the things that you are desiring to manifest into your reality. Namaste. For having me on. It's really been a good time. Yes. (laughs) It really is. Thank you.